Today is one of the church's holy days, Palm Sunday, where we recognize, highlight, and remember forever Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Five days before the crucifixion, seven days before his resurrection. And Palm Sunday kicks off Holy Week where the passion of Christ is on full display. And today we're taking a unique perspective on Holy Week as we prepare for our Good Friday service and our Easter resurrection uh, celebrations next Sunday. We're looking today at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, a text I have never in my 35 years of ministry preached on during Holy Week. And I can't even recall in my years of being a Christian hearing anybody preach on this text uh, during Passion Week. Now, since we've not been studying this book for months and months to bring us up to uh, chapter 12, it would be good for us to take a few moments today and acquaint ourselves with the context of this book. And to do so, let me ask you a simple question. Do you know where the word bankruptcy comes from? See, in ancient times, merchants conducted their their business on benches in the center of town. And when one of them became unable to pay their debts or failed to pay up, the others would smash the business owner's bench. And the word bankrupt is derived from the Latin term banca rota or rata, broken bench. And well, in early church times, there were a number of people to which the book of Hebrews was written who were on the verge of spiritual bankruptcy. They were on the brink of turning their backs on God. Some had already started wandering away, and the result was they were no longer gathering for worship services or attending services or participating and learning and growing the way they should have been. So let's take just a few moments and do a brief flyover of the book of Hebrews so we can get our bearings when we come now to chapter 12. Starting in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, and listen to if you hear anything about wandering or not growing or not participating in worship or any of these kinds of things coming up as we share a bunch of these verses. First of all, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation that was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Then chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And that's referring to ancient Israel, but it's being directed to these Christians in the early church. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, 
To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Then verse 29 in our text, right here in chapter 10. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Verse 39 in this text. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And then after our passage here in chapter 12, verse 25, it says this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? You hear that about turning away, about drifting away, about not growing and, and growing deeper and understanding the teaching that's been given to you? Do you, do you hear about not uh, assembling together and forsaking gathering with other believers? There's this drifting that's going on. And throw into this mix now persecution that was cropping up in the early church, which in and of itself is enough to scare some people away from the church, and you have the perfect storm for those who are considering abandoning the faith. So from Hebrews chapter 10 on, there is this thread of what Christians need to do in such circumstances. And the thread is this, we need to persevere. Look at chapter 10, verses 35 and verse 36. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. We need to hang in there. We need to keep the faith. And this is what the heroes of our faith have done. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11, which some call the Hall of Fame of Faith, points out. And ultimately, this is what our Lord and Savior Jesus did. Now, we didn't read chapter 10, verse 23, but a very important verse. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hang in there. Let's keep the faith. Let's hold on to this because he is faithful. And then chapter 12 now, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The instruction here for us is that we are to run the race with perseverance that's marked out before us. What race is that? It is the race of faith. And faith is what enables us to run the race well. Now, every race has a beginning point, and it has an end. And for the believer, our race begins when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when was that point? 
when we recognized our sin and our need for a Savior and confessed that to God, desiring to turn from our sin and turn our lives over to Jesus, to let God be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. And then we were off on the race. And we also know where the finish line is when we pass on, when we leave this earth. And it is appointed, the Bible says, for people to die. So everybody's going to die. That's going to happen. And we do not know when it will be. And I have to tell you, in my career as a pastor, I have officiated at somewhere around 400 funerals. The uh, youngest person I've ever done a funeral for was a baby that lived, a little boy, seven hours. The oldest funeral, a person I've ever done a funeral for was a 103-year-old delightful Christian lady. And I've had funerals for every age in between there of the 400 or so that I've officiated at. And I even had one year where I had 11 funerals and the average age was 39 years of age. And the Bible says that God knows all the days that are ordained for us before any of them came to be. But we don't know how many of those days are. And we certainly do not know how it, our, our passing is going to come about. We don't know if we're going to have a heart attack. We don't know if we're going to have a stroke. We don't know if it's going to be cancer or some other disease. We don't know if it's going to be an accidental death or if it's going to be the process of aging. We don't know if it's going to be some genetic issue that, that puts us under. But we do know it will come. And we know as well that the Scriptures do teach that it's appointed once for a person to die, and then comes judgment. Now Hebrews 12, 1-3 is speaking of the course that is run from that beginning when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then when we die and leave this planet. Now let me say, the race course that we are to run is a course of faith, and our approach to that has to be the same for all of us. That's what this is telling us. But the specific course that each one of us may run may be different from person to person. We may have different experiences, different careers, different places to go, different things to do, different obstacles to overcome. I think most of you were probably not burdened like my dear wife Cindy and I were this last Friday morning as our oldest daughter with disability issues was undergoing surgery at Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota for the implantation of a VNS, a vagus nerve stimulator to help her with her seizure disorder and Lord willing with her behavioral issues as well. And we so desperately want this to work. And to be an answer to decades-long prayers and grief and suffering that our daughter has gone through. Now, others have faced the pain of losing loved ones to diseases and accidents recently. Our entire church has been grieving many of these losses the past few weeks. Some have been completely overwhelming. We had a young man here 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, who moved to this community his senior year in high school. People here reached out to him. One of the young men in our church shared his faith uh, boldly with him many times. This young man came to faith in Jesus Christ, moved away, served in the military for a half a dozen years, ended up you know, moving to the Twin Cities, married a young gal, had a beautiful young family with three children. Last Saturday, eight days ago, someone in the family accidentally backed over their two-year-old daughter. Now, one of the women in our church taught alongside the mother of that little girl in the school district of Superior years ago, 
uh, 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 the young man that witnessed to this, this guy and also stood up in his wedding, they're devastated as well as other people who know this family. Everybody's devastated. They've communicated to me that they've had trouble sleeping this week. They felt nauseous at times and just an overall sadness that nine days ago no one saw these losses coming that we've recently experienced. See, each of our life's courses are different, but we're called to run this race of faith with perseverance. Or some translations, the older translations used to say, with endurance. Again, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. You know, whenever I read this text in the first few decades of my Christian faith, I always thought that there was this arena we're in and this big stadium and we've got all of these Christians that have lived before us, all of these believers in God from Old Testament times and New Testament times and they're all sitting in the stands and they're watching us as we're in this life and they're cheering us on and encouraging us. You know, this great cloud of witnesses. But you know, With all that has gone on, I always found this to be a touching and inspiring part of the Bible. But it wasn't until 13 years out of seminary, when I was digging into this passage a little bit, that I realized I actually misunderstood the teaching of this text, because it's tied so directly to Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 1 and 2 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Then it gives a list of all these saints, naming many of them, some not named, but uh, naming the things that they had to endure and the tortures and sufferings they went through for their faith, and they maintained their faith. And look at verse 39 and 40 at the end of chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made complete. That's when Jesus came. And they're made complete like we are because we are this side of the cross. And this cloud of witnesses here, they're not witnesses of us. They are witnessing to us. They're not sitting there cheering us on as if they're in the stadium. You go, you can do this, you got it. They're not doing that. They're, they're martyrians. That's the Greek word here. It's where we get the word martyr from. They're testifying to us. They're witnessing to us. They're giving us their testimonies. And their witness to us is that you can persevere in the faith, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances life can throw at you. Like we just read from that letter from Kosis and Pastor Dalabar today and what's going on with these poor Ukrainian people and Christians and churches in Ukraine and they're trying to rescue family members and rescue other people and provide food and water and help in every way they can you know you can keep your faith even in life's most difficult times now in the original language of this text there's one exhortation that governs the entire passage and it's the end of verse one there let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. You know, all great runners develop endurance. They run with endurance. And part of building up endurance is to push oneself in your practices and training exercises so that you uh, 
fight through pain and you endure all kinds of pain and discomfort so that you can build up more endurance of your body so that you can run the race better. Well, Christianity is all about being conformed to the image of God's Son. It's constantly surrendering to Him. It's constantly trusting God. It's constantly submitting and seeking and looking to Jesus. And I think Galatians 2.20 sums it up pretty well, where it says that I have been crucified with Christ, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. If we're to run well the race of faith marked out before us, then there's a number of things we have to do. If we're going to develop this endurance, if we're going to persevere like this, there's a number of things we have to do. And verse 1 here tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. we got to set aside the extra weight, the extra encumbrances. We don't need to carry that with us and think we're going to run the race well. And you know, athletes do this all the time. Pro football quarterbacks, uh, many of them are under contract to report to camp at 7% body fat. Aaron Rodgers, it's part of his contract. He gets paid $150 million to be a quarterback. But they expect him to stay in shape, and they want him at that body, uh, that, that body fat because he can still be a little quicker, he still has enough body fat to protect his organs and also to help fight against diseases, but they want him to be as lightweight as possible. I know this, you may not, it may not look like this, but 40 years ago when I was a college track athlete, I was 5.9% body fat because of training and trying to be as fast as I possibly could. Swimmers shave all the hair off their bodies because they don't want any resistance when they're in the pool. Defensive backs and receivers in college and many in the pros, they take their knee pads out of their, out of their uniforms. Some of them don't even wear girdle pads. All they're wearing is thigh pads, and some of them don't wear thigh pads. They're wearing shoulder pads and a helmet, and they're going out in this violent sport to collide, but they're doing it to lighten the load so that they can run as fast as possible. What is it in your life right now? that is keeping you from running the race with perseverance like you should be? What is keeping you from trusting and serving the Lord wholeheartedly? Is it past hurts and disappointments? Is it rejection or, or a lack of uh, uh, recognition? Is it having too much time on your hands and spending too much time on social media and surfing the net? Is it, the past, is it past failures or maybe some current ones? that you're experiencing? Is it simply sin? Is it doubt or unanswered questions? Is it uncertainty about your future? Is it fear? Is what's holding you back right now devotion to the wrong things or devotion to lesser things? What is it that is hindering you? What is it that's entangling you right now? And it goes without saying that sin in any way, shape, form, or size will always hamstring us in the race of faith. And by the way, have you ever pulled a hamstring? I mean a serious hamstring pull where the back of your leg is completely black and blue, where you have swelling and tremendous pain from the muscles that have torn there and the discomfort that you're experiencing, and then you have to walk like a peg leg like that. 
It's all because of the bleeding and the swelling. It'll wipe you out. It'll take you off course. And it will take you out of the race for a long time. Now, there are some specific sins that can especially be detrimental. Uh, watch out for these. Things like pride, like lust, greed, hatred, fear. That's a big one. Self-centeredness is another one. And covetousness, you know, covetousness. To run the race with perseverance, we need to grow in a pattern of obedience to God. Daily, that means being in God's Word. Daily in prayer and worship and fellowship with other believers. It means training with a single-minded focus to become Christ-like. It means running a certain way. See, to run the race of faith, we have to have our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That means having no eyes for anything but Christ, who's the founder of our faith, and also the completer of our faith. And we're exhorted here to look away from all those things that will distract us and to focus on Jesus. You know, sometimes as a track coach, I've encountered athletes who are very good athletes, but they can't stay in their lane. I had a young gal one time who was brilliant. Uh, in fact, the very first race she ran, she set records in that race. But she started out in lane two, and she ended up in lane six. So she was disqualified. I mean, she drifted, and she still set a record running that fast from one lane because of where her focus was. And, and she would throw her head back a little bit with also hurt because she couldn't see. But she drifted across five lanes. And sometimes when we're training indoor because the, the weather's inclement, we have to run in hallways or we have to run in gymnasiums or in commons areas or things like that uh, to get people to run straight because even the great athletes will veer a little bit when that happens. So I'll tell them, see that beam over there? Run to that beam so that they can run in a straight line. Fix your eyes on that so you're going toward the target. Well, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. And uh, it tells us here that, that Jesus did all of this for us, for the joy of the cross. Was there joy in the cross? No, no. The joy of providing salvation for us through the cross is what's being referred to here. And the promise of returning to glory for Jesus with the Godhead. See, the cross was a terrible instrument of capital punishment. It was reserved for slaves and criminals to torture them for hours and, and, and the last hours and the last minutes and the last moments of their lives to publicly humiliate them. And on the cross, Jesus was treated as valueless to society, someone who was completely worthless, of no significance, someone that the world had to get rid of. He needed to be eradicated. So he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was shamed, he was scorned. But Jesus turned the experience of the cross upside down, scorning the scorn. And to Jesus, the humiliation of the cross was insignificant compared to the, the joy that he had in obedience to the plan of salvation. And look at verse 3 here. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a mathematical term. When it says consider this, Add this all up. Add up what Jesus has done for us. Add up why Jesus did what he did. You know, consider 
the endurance that Jesus had to have, the perseverance that Jesus had to have just to make salvation available to us. Consider everything he went through, the opposition to all the people, and in the midst of that, teaching us and giving us his word and all the things that Jesus did. Add it all up. Consider that so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. When you're tempted to just give up, when you're tempted to lose heart, when you're tired of enduring life's hardships, when life's opposition to the faith of Jesus Christ is overwhelming, when you're tired of all of life's losses, fix your eyes on Jesus and add up everything that He's done. You know, in the early church, with all of the struggles that they faced, the imprisonments, the persecution, uh, the patriarchal society where women had no opportunities and where the church was comprised of a lot of women and a lot of slaves. The two people and groups of people who suffered the most in that culture, they were the biggest contingent in the church. And they encouraged one another to do this very thing, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And regularly they would sing a song of worship in their worship services. Uh, I wish we had the lyrics to the, I mean, uh, the music to this song. We have the lyrics because it's in the Bible. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, where the end of verse 5 says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, is very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Run the race of faith marked out before you by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are experiencing a lot of heartache and pain in our own faith community here in the last number of weeks. And some of us have personal burdens that we've come here with. Or those that are listening online have some serious, challenging complications in their lives right now some health related some family related some work and career related and these are just tense times in our culture as a whole and there's terrible conflict lord in eastern europe and even in other parts of the world that are so deeply burdening and troubling to us and lord it's so easy to lose heart it's so easy to get discouraged by all of this but thank you god at the beginning of Holy Week on this Palm Sunday that you've reminded us that Jesus ran the race that was marked out before him with perseverance, that he endured, and that you're calling on us to keep the faith and to endure as well. And God, you've given us uh, what we need to do. You've given us instructions to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Lord, may we do this, and may we continue on running this race well to your honor and glory in Jesus' name.